So girls, what I'd like to do is tell you my story. My process of learning how to love my husband. First of all, you girls may think, maybe one or two of you might think that you're a scoundrel or you've, you've been, do any of you have a sense of guilt or a negative thought about yourself? Well, nobody in this room has been worse than me. I'm gonna tell you that already. I have taught this class over and over and over and over again over the years, and nobody's ever been worse than me, ever. So I want you to be comfortable with who you are already, right where you're at. And when I tell you my story, you'll say, yep, you're right. <laughs> nobody's been worse than you. You know, um, I came to um, a relationship with Jesus Christ when I was 31 years old. And I had grown up in a religious setting, but it was very legalistic, and I couldn't find God there. And then when I was 31 and kind of came to the end of my rope, making life happen the way I thought it should happen and being very unsatisfied with the results, I thought, well, maybe I need God or something. And I started to look. And I went to two or three mainline kind of churches, sat in the back and walked out saying, I don't know, I couldn't find God there. And then I was told about a little new church startup in a high school in my town. And the pastor was my age. <clears throat> and so I went there and I have no idea what he said, but I started sobbing and my heart was deeply touched and I was a mess. <clears throat> I didn't have waterproof mascara on. I was a wreck. And I got out of there as quickly as I could at the end of the service before anyone could see me and sat in the car and gripped the steering wheel sobbing. And I said, I've got to go back there, whatever that was. And I went back. And my husband went back with me too, starting that next week. And interestingly enough, because this was a long time ago, this was, what, 39 years ago? <clears throat> no, longer than that, 42 years ago. Um, right about that time, they came up with this new version of the Bible called the NIV, and New International Version. And I had really struggled reading the King James Version. I just I just couldn't get it. And so I went and bought that Bible right away and I thought, I'm gonna read the Gospels in the New Testament and see what this Jesus is like once and for all. And so I read through and I was blown away by his love and his power and his strength and the greatness of his character, really blown away. So I watched, or I read through that over, I don't know, this might have been a three-month period of time, and kept going to church. And then I started asking God questions. I don't know, I just did. I started in my mind saying, well, what about all the rules? Because I grew up in a very legalistic, religious setting. And when I looked at the person of Jesus in the New Testament, it's like, you know, I have a feeling you're not really in most of these rules. But then I thought, but what if one of them really mattered to you? 
well then I know that's going to have to matter to me. I just knew that at that point. So then I went on to, at another time, I started asking more questions. And the question I had was, since I was so unimpressed with my life on my own, I said, how would my life look if you were fashioning it for me? And he gave me four words in my mind. And the first one was purpose. And I thought I was just going to jump out of my skin right away. The thought of me being given a purpose by the God of the universe was wild. And then the next word he gave me was fulfillment. Well, that blew me out of the water. I was dying for fulfillment. And then intimacy, yes, and adventure. I have a need for adventure. I guess more than likely most people that live in Park City have a need for adventure, unless you just followed your adventuresome husband to Park City, which could be the case. At any rate, uh, that was very important to me too because my stereotype of, of Christian women was that they were kind of stuffy. And I just mm, couldn't do that. And so those were the four words that, that God was telling me, he had for me. Well, I was blown out of the water. And it, after about three months of thinking and investigating, I thought, I'm so unimpressed with how I've lived life on my terms. Why would I want anyone else in control of my life but him? And then my husband was going through his own journey at the same time, coming to church with me every week. And on this last night, when we invited the pastor to come over and talk with us, that was the night that Ed decided that he was going to let Jesus Christ take control of his life, which is really what I did too that same night. Uh, it's all really about who's going to be in control of my life and your life. That's what the real question of the century is, or of, the, of all time, is who is going to be in control of my life. And so I entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ that very night. And the next morning, things changed. <clears throat> because Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit enters into us um, when we invite him to come in and take control of our lives. We all know we're sinners. There's never been a person I've ever met who didn't know that they were a sinner. It's very interesting. Every guy I've ever talked with is very quick to say, oh yes, I know I'm a sinner. Even the most urbane parkite will, will be able to say that to you. So it's not about the sin thing, but the amazing thing was that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he resolved all of our sin problems. And I was asking for forgiveness and please take control. Now, there are fancy ways for people to invite Jesus Christ into their lives, but that was how I did it and it worked. That's all I can say. So my life then took off from there and I slowly started to grow up and mature since I was not parented I feel like I was never really parented. My mother had a lot of uh, kind of uh, emotional illness, and she never really parented, but she sure did scream and yell a lot. And she was very um, 
disrespectful and my father was passive. And so what's interesting in our marriage choices is that what our parents have been is what we tend to become. And so when I, to step up back a little bit, when I met and married Ed, Ed had a rage problem. Ed's parents, his mother was passive, like my father was, and his dad was angry like he was. And they had a typical marriage when you have unresolved anger going on all the time and a passive wife or husband, whichever one it winds up being, then you wind up having withdrawal <clears throat> and withholding, which is what I did. And the husband just is aggressive and fighting and arguing all the time and getting no relationship from his wife or from his, from her husband with my mother. So I married my mother and I was my father. And uh, Ed was his father and I was his mother. And I was just like his, his mother and I could be two birds in the same basket. So it's interesting and as I'm telling you this, I'll bet you're all thinking to yourselves, what did I do? And if you were marvelously mature, you didn't just fall into the same thing that your parents were. But typically that's what we do. And so I had this problem with Ed. We got married when I was 29 and he was four years younger. I thought he was a great investment. Four years younger, men die early. You know, this is gonna be good, right? <laughs> and we had a lot of things in common that were great, but his, his anger problem was huge. It was a rage problem and it happened all the time and you never knew quite when it was gonna happen. And my, my response was to withdraw and withhold. That's all I knew how to do. And so we had a horrible marriage. And we had a horrible marriage after we came to faith when I was 31 for 10 years. And I grew slowly and matured in my relationship with the Lord, but our marriage was still horrible. And my husband was in retail and he worked virtually 24 seven. And closer to that 10 year mark, he was working less and less and getting his management team for his various stores in place. You would know that, Linda. So his management team was all in place and it got to the point where he was only in the store 10 hours a week. And then he was at home driving me crazy <sighs> because he didn't quite know what he was gonna do next with his life. And so he was rearranging my wallet and everything in the house and telling me how I needed to do things differently. And I'm a pretty organized person and pretty e efficiency is very important to me. And he's telling me I'm highly inefficient, blah, blah, blah. Well, I came to the end of my rope. Girls, the end of your rope is an important place because I decided I'm gonna to go to the Christian bookstore and get some books on Christian marriage and straighten him out once and for all. Sorry, that's what I thought. And so I did. I got six books on marriage and please don't ask me what they were. I don't remember. I loaned them out years ago. If I had any idea 
that I'd ever, ever share with anyone what I was going through, it would have been different. But that was not the case when I was 39 years old. And so, um, I guess it was 31 to 30, okay, eight years later. Um, so, I would wake up every night at two o'clock in the morning, and my husband slept like a log, and I could turn the light on next to my bed. I had my books stacked there, and a legal pad and a pen, and I would take notes for two hours every night. The Holy Spirit must have wakened me every night at two o'clock. So every night for two hours, I'd be reading and taking notes. And I got to the end of the, all that reading, and I realized that in God's economy, I got an F. I thought that I was a lily-white Christian woman who had a husband with a rage problem. And there was our problem. And what I came to realize that was that in God's economy, I got an F. Well, actually a D minus, because there was one thing I did right only because it's my temperament to do it. And that is that I kept an orderly home. I gave Ed domestic support, is what they call it. I did all the stuff around the home to make it nice and tidy. The kids were well taken care of. The yard was lovely. And there was always leftovers in the fridge for him when he came home late at night, which is the right thing to do. I just did it naturally because that's who I was. And it's the only thing that kept me from a complete F and a D minus is what I got. And so I was really humiliated and horrified by this truth. And it took me quite a while, maybe two or three weeks, to kind of adjust to it, to all of the ugliness of who I was. Now that I had in front of me written out all the key points of what God was calling me to be. And then I had this one fateful night. Oh, and by the way, girls, in your, um, in your um, handouts, you'll notice on the front page for uh, this week, for introductory week, that it says notes, and there's a big space. That is for you to take notes. So as you're going through our time together, feel free to take notes about any of, any of the things that we say that are salient for you, okay? Um, so anyway, I come to this fateful night, two o'clock in the morning, I wake up. I have in front of me everything that needs to change in my life. And I didn't wanna do any of it my pride. I mean, I didn't want to have to do all this stuff. I'm telling you, I really didn't want to do it. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was like up in the corner here. And, and I said, I don't want to do it. Oh, I can't even imagine doing this, not even for a minute. And the Holy Spirit kind of spoke into my head and said, and Candy, how happy is your pride making you? And I was so thick-headed, it probably took me five minutes to sit and think about that before I finally thought, well, I'm miserable. 
And if it were today and not all those years ago, he probably would have said, duh. <laughs> but I sat there horrified. And I fought with God, not wanting to do this, probably till five o'clock in the morning. No, I don't want to do it. I, I, I just can't do it. I can't do it. I won't do these things. And then I thought, because it was getting close to time to get up, I thought, well, what if I don't? And I realized that Ed would go to hell in a handbasket, that my kids would have the same marriage that I gave them, because our kids become what we are, <clears throat> which is kind of horrifying, and <clears throat> that I would probably, at my age now, be a bitter old woman who had been in and out of numerous disastrous relationships. But that didn't stop me, or that didn't get me. It's like, I'm still, I can't do it, I can't do it. But then the Holy Spirit put this one thought into my head. You know, Candy, I now hold you responsible for what you now know. All that stuff I had in front of me, I now knew it. And I hold you responsible for it. And Scripture tells us that. And by the way, that means that if you're not willing to have the courage to learn what God's calling us to be, don't come back next week because God's going to hold you responsible for what you're going to learn. And that killed me. Then I knew I had to do it. I've got to do this. How in the world am I ever going to do that? That was the next big question. Because I knew that I could do some of this new behavior maybe for a morning, let's say Monday morning, or let's say somehow I had an incredible week and I made it to Friday. I just couldn't imagine in my own strength being able to pull any of this off. Does that sound familiar to any of you? I hope, because it's really true. Otherwise, you have ideas of grandeur about yourself because we are just human. And to go against our pride is a, a daunting task on our own. So then I, I started talking to the Lord about it. Lord, what are we going to do? Because I can't do it. I can't do it. And I, I believe he gave me this method. And it has been a life changer for me ever since. I decided that every morning before everybody got up, I'd look at everything that was new, that's new thinking for me, new habits for me. And I would pray and say, Lord, please give me eyes so that I can even see where I need to be this new behavior today. And then two, I promised that I would exert my will and say it or do it. And then three, I said, but only if I have your Holy Spirit's help and enablement. If you do not help me, there is no hope. There is absolutely no hope. And so I prayed that every morning. And then I read over at 4 o'clock in the afternoon because I was sure I'd forget it all by then and prayed that same prayer again. And miraculously, that very first morning, the opportunity came up. God gave me eyes to see. Candy, you need to... I wish I knew what I... Had, I wish I could tell you what it was. 
but it, you'll be learning what it is. Uh, and it's like, oh, that's it. But I immediately felt as if someone had put a stranglehold just as physically real as this feels right now to me around my neck. And I believe it was Satan trying to keep me from saying those, those proper words, God's words, the first time. And, um, um, and uh, oh, God, what was it we agreed to? What was it? What was it? Okay, I just got to somehow say it. Oh, how can I say it? Oh, God, help me to say it. It came out, and the hands left my neck. What an unusual experience. I have to tell you, that was very extreme. Well, it never happened again. Just that first time. So I did get the words out, and I did say it. And obviously, I must have had the help of the Holy Spirit that I was able to get past that roadblock around my neck. And the next day, I don't recall what happened, but Ed said something to me that met a need deep in my heart that I had never even known existed, some part of me. And it was, oh, it felt so good. And I thought to myself, you know what? You're telling me, Lord, to hang in there, aren't you? And what's my choice? Because I now know all this stuff. I got to do it, right? And frankly, I hated Ed's guts. I was ready for divorce. I had no interest in doing any of this sort of stuff. But the books had told me that my job is to do it for the Lord when I can't do it for Ed right now because I hated him so much. And there were 26 things that I could tell you just like that that I hated about Ed. At any given time, 26 things, oh yeah, I could tell you. And all of that was about to change. So long story short, every day I did, because I, it takes intentionality, girls, and every day I did that every morning and every afternoon because I had all of the old paradigms in my mind all of the worldview that everybody believes out there without subtly ever realizing that we are. And unfortunately, all of our worldviews are propelled by Satan to keep us from God's best. And that's the honest-to-goodness truth. It really is. And all that new thing that I was learning here is exactly a perfect example of it because it was so horrifyingly different like exactly the opposite of everything I had lived with and learned, just like you, just like all of us. It's just horrifying. And so we are really taking a 180-degree turn to a whole new way of doing things. And you've got to have a reason why that propels you and compels you. And so long story short, within, I don't know, two or three months, Ed and I fell madly in love with each other. He responded incredibly. I didn't think he would ever change. He responded incredibly to all the new behaviors that are God's way, because if you think about it, God knows what men need, and he knows it way better than I ever did. I was just doing the step-by-step of what I was learning, and it absolutely revolutionized our relationship.
And you know, Ed had always been real tight with the purse strings. It was his way to try to control me. And all of a sudden, he's so generous. Oh, Candy, shall we spend money here? Shall we spend money there? It's like, and he was so affectionate and he was so warm. He was still raging though. And through the whole process, I had to put blinders on to his rage because I had so much work to do. And I said, Lord, he's your problem. I got work to do because I really want to please you. And the reason I really want to please the Lord is because he has done so much for me. And the, the, when you think about it, the costliest thing I had was giving up my agenda, my pride, to be obedient to what God was calling me to be. And that is a central concept here. And I gladly did it because I was so grateful for what God has done for me. And so a big part of this course is going to be helping you to get to know who this God is so that it can be worth it to you to even want to go to these kind of places, which we will be coming to shortly. So um, we had a wonderful marriage, except for the rage, but about the six-month mark, God even dealt with Ed's rage. I started to pray about three weeks before he dealt with it. For the first time, I was allowed to, to pray about anything that was wrong with, with Ed. I wasn't allowed to go there. I was only allowed to deal with me because I had so much work to do. And I started to say, Lord, is it possible that Ed's got an anger problem and I don't think you could ever fix it, but I'm going to ask you to. And I prayed for that for about three weeks. And then one morning, we're making the bed together. And he said, you know, I had a dream last night. And I was angry. Angry at this person, that person, this person, that person. He said, why am I always so angry? And I said, I don't know. But he knew about my six books now by the side of the bed. But I'll look through the books and I'll see if I can find out. And later on that morning, I had a walking date with a girlfriend. We never do that, right? This was back in New Jersey, by the way. I had a walking date with a girlfriend who was reading the same books I was. And I told her, you're not going to believe what Ed just told me. And she said, well, I just finished a chapter on anger in H. Norm Wright's book called Marriage and Communication. I'll put it in your mailbox. It's like, get out. And so she put it in. And I read it, and I was horrified to learn that being angry is really being a bully. It's insisting on having your own way. And I was horrified, because I was so dumb. I didn't know where anger came from or what it was about. And so he comes home that night, and he sees that I'm kind of down. And he says, what's, what's bothering you? I said, well, I found out what anger is about. He said, tell me. I said, you don't want to know. Okay. I'm not kidding. You, would you want to, did you want to tell him about that? And so I told him. And it was as if you took a sword and thrust it through his gut and nailed him to the wall. He was so horrified at the truth. 
Now the reality is, see, I know stuff now that I didn't have a clue about back then. But when we learn to become who God calls us to be to our husbands, it does such an amazing thing to men and they are able to hear God speak to them in ways that they could never hear before. It's amazing. And that's why he was so horrified at that moment. And long story short, he never got angry again. Uh, he went through his process with God and he dealt with his anger. Isn't that shocking? I wonder what God could do with your husbands in a, maybe a little particular area that drives you crazy. Not that anyone would have that here, right? So at, so at any rate, we fell madly in love and the anger issue, he would send me notes and cards saying, I can't believe you stayed with me through all this. Oh, I'm so grateful. Thank you, thank you. And then he died in a ski accident about a year later. Now, the reality is, if he had lived and was still my husband today, over the years, being human, stressors might come up and he might fall back into anger and then we would have to deal with it and he would have to rein it back in. I mean, once in a while, I would imagine being human that that tends to happen, that sort of thing. But we would have dealt with it, but instead he died. And then, um, I think it was two years after his death, I had a bunch of young girlfriends who would come to my backyard in the summertime and we would play water volleyball and get together and they would complain about their husbands. And I didn't want to say anything, but I knew how to fix it because nothing was unique. I've already done it. I've already been it. And so uh, I, I waited and waited and finally I, I said, you know, when Ed was alive, blah, 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 blah. And then it would come up again. And then it would, something would come up again. And I would say, well, you know, when Ed was alive, and they said, would you teach us what you learned? And I was like, oh no, I don't want to talk about marriage. I don't have a husband. And I definitely don't want to talk about sex. And I went before the Lord and I said, and he said to me, I have not taken you through these things for you to keep it to yourself. So I was like, okay, Lord, but you've got to find the study. And, and he did. He provided me with your wonderful book there, which when I looked at it, it's like, well, that's everything I learned. There it is in the book. And the rest is history. The first dozen gals went through the study with me no chapter 10 on sex. I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> but um, not long after that, we included chapter 10. And um, you will, that's the very last chapter, by the way, in the study on sex. And it's interesting when you go through this study how Cynthia Heald has t given us lesson one, lesson two, and the progressive order of the whole uh, study because it's brilliant. It's absolutely, well, it's, God breathed, that's what it is. So uh, the rest is history. We've done years and years of this. I went on when I was 52 to get my master's in Christian counseling and I've continued to be exposed to more and more of the various dynamics of marriage long before I went into my last 15 years with Stan. 
which has been its own learning experience as everything is. But it's amazing what God can do when we let go of our pride, which is a very big deal, and are willing to go where God calls us to go with his help. And that is, that is essentially it. What a story. Thank you, Candy. Anyone's story. Anyone's story is amazing. And, and God works tremendously. And so, kind of like every time we get to hear somebody's story, 